Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm Adam Harwood, Associate Director of Talent and Culture at Genomics. And this week, I'm interviewing David about how L&D can achieve more with less in 2023. And especially given his experience of doing this at Disney during the banking crisis. So let's get into it. David, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. How are you? Uh, thank you, Adam. Uh, I'm very good. Thank you very much. It's uh, uh, it's very interesting being this uh, this side of the uh, the conversation. On the other side, yes, absolutely. So this podcast is about doing more with less. So uh, can you explain a bit more about that, please? Yeah, sure. So um, you know, all the time I've been in learning and development, when there's a recession uh, or as we we're becoming more familiar, an economic downturn, uh, learning and development are lent on to 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 do uh, perhaps at least what they uh, were doing before, uh, perhaps even a little bit more, uh, but with less resources. I remember in my time uh, at Disney uh, by by 2008, 2009, when the, the banking crisis hit, um, I remember somebody from marketing saying to me, um, it's usually marketing and L and D that's cut, <laughs> and I remember thinking at the time, "Oh well, um, this is this is my first role of actually being a, an L and D manager, and this is really going to be a trial by fire." It's a bit, um, uh, but it always uh, it always stuck with me because um, my experience has said since then that uh, that the L and D is cut, but the thing is that the expectations don't lessen, and I think that uh, that that what we've got with this current situation is that. Um, uh, the cost of living is increasing. Opportunities in for organisations are reducing, um, and uh, but but people still need to live, and your top talent is still going to have a high regard for itself. So L and D for an organisation can't pause. So that's why I think it's really important that learning and development as a function doesn't think about pausing or running a, a lighter service. We need to rethink these uh, everything that we do in order to, as as you said in the uh, in the introduction, uh, to do more with less. Yeah, and your listeners that have listened to your fantastic podcast all year will be wondering why I'm interviewing you. I guess so. Why am I interviewing you? Good question. Uh, so um, I, I always look for for guests who have walked the walk uh, on the podcast and. There are many. There are many times I spoke with you on, uh, on on more than one occasion on the podcast because I felt that you were the best person to speak to about this, and I didn't want this to be a the- theoretical conversation or, or, or hypothetical at the uh, at the very least, uh, because I I ran Disney's UK learning and development function uh, as I said before in two thousand and eight when the financial crash happened, uh, and I was in the position that many are going to be finding themselves in today. So. Uh, for for the purposes of credibility and don't get me wrong, look, there there are there are going to have been other people I could have spoken with, uh, but um, but I felt that um, I know what I did uh, before, and I know that this was tough times, uh, and I know that I was successful at Disney during that period because the demands, as I mentioned before were still high and i had a demanding boss as well mm-hmm. uh, i'll make no bones about it um so i feel as if i have the experience um of uh, and of successfully navigating um what was before now the uh, the the worst economic downturn in uh, in living memory yeah and what so you were at disney 
around kind of 2008 you mentioned right that's right yeah Amazing. yeah so okay. i joined in 2006 and left in 2014. all right so what, what did you sp and specifically do when you were there in regards to you know doing more with less well after my uh, my conversation with marketing um <laughs> I, I felt that the most important thing to do was survive um i think that uh, the that like many people will be today i had to think that if learning and development was going to be cut and there was only two of us in the uk learning and development team me and natasha natasha was the my uh, um d advisor at the time so i needed us to survive so that we had jobs uh, and the only way that we were going to do that i felt was to become more visible and more impactful um and so what I meant by visible was that I think that that learning and development can get away with spending a lot of time in conversations in design phase and then locked away in classrooms. And even though we are busy and we know that we are creating something high value or we're delivering something high value, if we're in classrooms for any amount of time or in incubation for any amount of time, we are actually hidden. Uh, from from our organization. So I made a really conscious effort that we were going to become more visible. And so uh, I felt as if I needed to have more conversations with influential stakeholders. And by influential, of course, we're talking about um, uh, very senior, mm. uh, high profile stakeholders, ones that were going to have uh, a, uh, a stake in um, my success. Um, to have conversations about what it is that they felt was most important and then i offered largely workshops um yep. 90 minute workshops whether it be team building uh whether it be around uh pressing topics but but i felt that we didn't have time to go away and create more programs so we couldn't just you know as well and this was this was my boss at the time who i thought was particularly savvy we couldn't just offer the same curriculum as we had before because we had a model where the programs were delivered by external facilitators and the cost was returned back to the the departments of the attendees so it was uh, so um uh, taken from their cost centers so it felt that if we carried on that model regardless it just would have seemed insensitive. So we were having these high-profile high conversations to run shorter workshops in order to um, uh, to to be visible and impactful. And I think that that, that it very much is aligned with with my approach to learning and development that the that listener will hear. It's about, it was about performance. It was about what the team was there to do, and also about making sure that people still felt valued and developed in a time where perhaps budgets weren't as um, uh, free flowing as, uh, as as was before. So so that that in essence was um, was was what we did. But we, we also marketed learning and development much more to individuals to say, look, you, there may there may be less budget, but this doesn't mean that we're not we don't value you. Um, and so uh, so it's around that time that uh, that, that I launched the, the the Disney Learning Expo, which was uh, leaning on uh, vendors to come in and do what they're what they're best at um, in order to bring ideas from the outside. And, and, and the first year we did that in 2009. Well, first of all, I, I threw that in the diary in 2008. I threw a date in the diary towards <laughs> the end of 2009 uh, and then created a load of marketing buzz about it, thinking, well, me and the team are going to have to be around to deliver this. Um, and um, and when 
when it was actually delivered, uh, I was told that um, it was a great antidote for the way that Disney usually does things because it could be really inward looking and think that it has all the answers within it. But we had a high level of uh, of um, of um, advanced technology sessions, uh, which very much brought the outside in and had the, the whole organization can reconsider uh, or consider again what its frame of reference is when it comes to uh, product design and uh, or you know or, or promotions and marketing. So that you know so so that's what we did. It was about it was about visibility. It was making sure that we were having the right conversations and responding and and not letting the business think that we were insensitive enough just to be recharging them to attend programs when really we knew that that things were much tougher. Like it sounds good. So I mean. The uh, the story had a good ending then, I guess, in the sense that L and D survived in that in this situation. L and D weren't cut. Um, <laughs> no, no, and- no. It was it was it was hugely successful during that period. Yeah. I'd say that uh, uh, from uh, from two thousand and eight to to twenty twelve, uh, I think that we really did, and we continued to uh, to increase the um, the um, the visibility and the impact uh, of that team. And we were, um, I think, that we become much more um like front of house rather than yep. rather than uh, an administrative uh, or delivery function or one that was hidden and uh, uh and i think that um personally my profile rose uh enormously as did my credibility um i don't want to blow my own trumpet i was promoted uh in 2012 as well uh to director of uh of uh learning talent and od for the europe for europe middle east and africa from my uk role which was um I think testament to the approach that I took uh, when, when the, again, if we go to talk very selfishly about this mm. uh, for us in learning and development, um, my my stock internally rose because I grasped the nettle um, yeah. and, I, and, I, and, I, and I knew what needed to be done uh, in order for, for, as you say, LED to survive, but us to become more impactful. Yeah. And um, just for your uh, record, David, you are allowed to blow your own trumpet on this podcast. Don't forget, <laughs> I'm interviewing you. So therefore, you can do that as much as you like. <laughs> now, I think that's really savvy and really clever. You know, the leaning on the stakeholder, uh, leaning on the external providers and also, you know, being more visible. And I think when you hear being more visible, instantly, I was just thinking that you would be like in front of stakeholders more, but you are more you are visible in a very tactful way, which I which I really like. OK, so thinking ahead now and if your listeners are tuning in and thinking about where we are right now um, in society with our kind of current economic crisis. Um, let's focus on that. First of all, what what's different about now and what's different about this economic crisis? So I, so I do I do think that there are key differences. I think that when the banking crisis hit, um, everybody was worried about their jobs. Um, and we're not just talking L&D here. We're talking uh, uh, the, wire, the wider workforce. Um, but I think that it's different here because um, certainly if I if I talk about the UK first of all, we've got we've got almost full employment um, right now. Um, there doesn't seem to be, um, apart from uh, in some areas, perhaps in hospitality or or in retail, yeah. there really isn't a risk of of people losing their jobs uh, right now. But there is high inflation and. People do need to get by. I mean, with, without without a pay rise, people are taking a real time um, pay cut. Um, but organisations will be struggling uh, in order to to meet those needs. 
So organizations need to recognize that the people that they want to keep hold of and develop, they see as potential at any, at any particular level, they still need to invest in their people. So I think that that learning and development have got a role more important than 2008, making valuable contributors and leaders feel as if they they can improve their prospects at their organization. Um, and I know that, that it's the case in the US as well. It, I, I'd say that it's a, um, whilst um, they're clearly taking a hit, the economy's not in bad shape. Um, mm. uh, and, and so again, employees are gonna be expect that in, in if they're not gonna be promoted uh, or, or expect the promotion that they would have uh, before or the pay rise, that, that they will be better off at their current organization rather than chancing their arm and jumping ship and going elsewhere. So I think that whilst this is tough times and it's tough for organizations and employees, I think employees slightly have the upper hand uh, in this one. And so good employees will leave if, if they feel as if their prospects could be better served elsewhere. And organizations do need not just to, to pay lip service to, but do need to consider how in the next year or two, their employees are going to be in a better position to capitalize on opportunities that might be coming around the corner. But I don't think anybody's going to accept just holding firm and riding out the storm. I, I, I think that there are going to, there are still going to be good opportunities for good people. Mm. Okay. So taking that into consideration and knowing that there's going to be L and D teams going into this next year with all of that knowledge of the kind of, the situation we're in, what mistakes might L and D teams make? Um, and given given where we are, so I think that there are some uh, some perennial um, mistakes that L and D make. That I think that that during tough times when they need to make impact will surface as as mistakes, and that being um, overinvestment in vast suites of online content that don't relate to people's jobs mm. look there's a real we we recently did a uh, survey on uh, uh, on the mismatch between what learning and development invest in and what employees actually want and it was called out that that one of the that the people don't engage in generic online content because it doesn't actually meet their need for a long time we've said in learning and development you, you know people don't have time or they don't know how to learn um, all, all of this nonsense, but but when it comes to it, that that in, in this this report that we did, two thirds of respondents said that that they're the most effective way they learn at work is while doing the job. Yeah, and I don't mean stopping work and doing some e-learning; it's while doing the job. Uh, and another two thirds in response, the most effective way of learning is via um, colleagues and peers, um, and and clearly because it's rich in context. So I'd say that that your vast suites of online learning, if they weren't being touched before, they're not going to be touched now. It's you know it, it serves a purpose, an educational purpose, but for actually improving people's prospects, I think it falls a long way short. If you want to uh, convince people that that they can improve their prospects in their organisation in a year or two, and but grow during these these tough times, they need to understand how they can navigate and um, and be successful within the context of their role, of their team, of their department and their organization. Um, and that's why just providing them with, with 
content around isolate skill sets in the hope that they will absorb the right stuff and then apply the right stuff and add to the context themselves, I think he's fanciful. Um, so I'd say that, uh, that that's that's one huge mistake that uh, that L&D made. And also, I, that, yeah, go on. No, sorry. Um, I, I think that we've talked about this a lot, haven't we, regarding the kind of the content and the, the temptation L&D teams have to bring it in. And another thing that we have to consider is given the situation is they're really expensive those those tools to bring in um given you know maybe kind of some other light touch low cost solutions you could deploy versus the kind of big money um solutions you know i, I think it's you know you're, you made a good point there that context is king and that context will come from stuff people do on the job and through their own colleagues and peers so there's it doesn't have to be the big content solution all the time but sorry i interrupted you David. oh no 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 that's a that's a, a valid interjection so the only other thing I'd, I'd say is is how we think about learning and development as well now we the way it's positioned too often is that it's a perk and and what i mean by this is uh we say um when we're um when we're recruiting people or when we're talking to people that that we on average we spend about a thousand dollars a year on each individual which equates to you know uh, ten thousand hours of learning a, a year like across our organization when when we talk about learning as uh as how much how much money or how much time we miss the actual reason that we are here which is to actually help to improve performance and prospects and i think that learning and development with developing and promoting a learning provision which is stuff and programs over the problems that we solve i think again i think it dumbs down learning and development and i think people see through it as well i think that what people want is 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 a partnership it's it's a part of a bargain uh, with their employer which is when when i engage with learning and development or in learning at work it's to be better and faster at my job so that i could get the rewards of being better and faster at my job and improve my prospects i'd, I'd seen a, a recent survey on linkedin that said that that now more than ever people people are more worried about their pay at work mm. and their prospects than anything else whether it be flexibility work life development and all of this stuff the you know the 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 cost of living crisis is really hitting people and so if learning seems superfluous to 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 the employee um they'll notice it and and again it will be a reason why they don't engage and why learning and development can't demonstrate its uh, its impact yep that makes a lot of sense you know and i've, I've from my experience I've, I've even heard that directly for employees i can feel it that that is that is a concern for people at the moment that that's what they're worried about and i guess it's you know that like you said people want to progress they want to do their job better so they have better pay and opportunities and therefore you know the learning that we provide people should lead to that um okay um so let's think about solutions um what should l d teams do this time around good question um, so I'd, I'd say that, uh, that the main thing is focus on real problems from different perspectives. And what do I mean by real problems? Because I don't sometimes I say this and I wonder whether it's nebulous <laughs> or it's misinterpreted. So, so number one, organizational performance. 
help stakeholders to address critical points of failure in their operation. What's not working? What's costing them opportunity? What's costing them good people? What's costing them the ability to get the resources they need in order to deliver? Um, and actually have conversations about what, what people are in the organization to do. Um, another real problem, retention. I've, uh, I've, I've mentioned this throughout here. We've got to look at specific areas of our organizations that are struggling to keep good people and understand why they're leaving mm. and work with stakeholders to address this, but don't make assumptions and develop general solutions. I, I, you know, an example might be uh, during this time, you might run a, a workshop on how to manage your career. No, 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 stop, right? What that does is that that takes largely an assumption uh, that, that it's down to the individual and their inability to navigate their career as to, to why this is happening. But it could be that you're losing good people because of a bad process or bad management. It could be overworked or over overwhelmed employees. And it doesn't matter what how good your workshop is, if it doesn't address the mm. actual reasons why people are leaving, then it might as well not exist at all. So, so stop with the assumptions and seek to understand the actual reasons. Uh, another point is link development and culture. Um, help employees to understand the expected and rewarded behavior so more people are a good fit for internal progression. Again, look at areas that are struggling to retain and recruit first. Your internal candidates should have an advantage over externals if they've worked, uh, if they've already worked within the culture. How can somebody from the outside be, be a, a, a less of a risk? than someone internally. Again, we've got to look at what we're doing here. I said it time and time again, that's, that, that trying to remove uh, the culture from our development experiences is trying to remove the egg from a cake. It's hmm. already baked in. So much of what's required in organizations is how to do the right stuff here. What does a manager do here? What does a manager do over there in that team? What do they do during, the, during that first week, that first two weeks? Uh, what is the expectation? How do they run a budget? All of this stuff. Don't just open a suite of content and say, you know, this this is generally what a budget holder does. Get somebody in your accounts department to talk about exactly what's needed, when it's needed, and surface that stuff when uh, when there are deadlines, when forecasting is required, when uh, when uh, the quarterly check-ins are required, when reforecasting or year financial year ends required. Get, get help people with the stuff that actually matters to them and their performance so they can be successful within the organization doing some upfront analysis um, even though it might be might take a little bit more time takes a hell of a lot less time than trying to drive traffic towards solutions in inverted commas that solve no problems and wondering at the end of it whether there's been any any return on investment uh, or trying to work out some some bizarre equation uh, to give you an ROI figure hmm. because there is no ROI if it didn't solve a real problem. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. That kind of reminds me of you when you go back to your your uh, career highlight at Disney with the, with this process. You went and spoke to the people that mattered and spoke yeah. to them and understood what they was going on and what were doing in their job. And I think that what I'm hearing from what you're saying right now is, you know, to get close to that problem, to get close to that challenge, you've got to speak to those people. You've got, you know, like, and don't be in that incubation stage or hidden away, be visible, go out to them and understand it. I think that's kind of what I'm hearing. Yeah. Um, just in terms of the, you know, what inevitably might happen, do you see, do you see L&D teams, do you think they will lose headcount in the downturn? 
look, this is a really tough question. Mm. Any department that can't demonstrate its business value will lose headcount. Yeah. You know, there's, there's no two ways about it. If, learn, if learning and development are in the business of providing learning and then they measure that based on um, how much people liked it and whether they'd recommend it to a friend, they are at risk. There's just there's no two ways about it. There are no hard measures there. Providing learning doesn't solve a business problem. It solves a, a perception problem. But if you can, for any department that links their effort and investment to meaningful business problems, and they're able to demonstrate that with, say, a team of four or five people, they're able to and have um, saved so-and-so amount of money for another part of the business, increased value, like Timu and Frederick at uh, at Telia, I've had on the podcast quite recently, uh, increased the um, the average sales per sales rep in their organization by 160 wow. percent. Those guys will be fine. If you're looking and wondering whether whether your you could justify the investment in your LMS, your LXP, or what whatever technology, or you're wondering whether the 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 two hundred fifty thousand pounds that have been spent on learning and development by your business has equated to any value other than it's good to bring people together and people generally liked it. Everybody is at risk in those situations, and that's why it's really important that we talk about outcomes with our stakeholders. We solve real business problems that um, that if we didn't get involved, it would cost the organization money, opportunity, good people, resources, or the like. And that we know that at the outset that our involvement is important because the current level is this and it needs to be this. Now, I, I don't believe that you can always equate L&D's effort to uh, uh, an increase in performance or results, but being there at the right time and having the right conversations and applying attention and effort in the right direction will stand you in better stead than simply trying to manage or bolster a learning provision. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely did. Yeah, so... Yeah, don't don't be flashing up, you know, your achievements for 2022 as how many bums you got on seats or how many clicks you had for on your LMS. Like, what did you actually do? You know, what was the business impact of, you know, your efforts? Um, and we'll get, I guess we can come on to you a little bit later. Like, what do you suggest, you know, L&D teams do to kind of avoid being in that situation? Um, just talking about technology, though, I know that's, you know, it's something that L&D teams lean on and rely on. Um What's your view in that in terms of how that uh, how technology can help us make a better impact? Again, it's a good question because I don't think that that te technology is generally um, once it's in an organization, it's really expected that it can drive impact. Mm -hmm. I know that all systems are bought with the um, with the hope that it will transform the organization. But after an initial spike, inevitably, learning and development will be trying to drive traffic toward a uh, from employees towards a platform to justify the expenditure not to transform to justify because they've stuffed it full of generic stuff right which which employees on the whole don't need because as we said before so much of uh, of development is linked to actual culture so i think that that if we want to make actual impact in uh, in 
with our technology. We've got to stop thinking about implementation as the goal. Uh, simply uh, branding or and personalizing content uh, and serving up the most appropriate stuff from a generic suite of of a library of content as good enough. But what we and certainly not marketing generic stuff. What we need to do is think like um, uh, product managers or product owners that that. What we need to do is we need to understand the problems that we need to solve. We need to work with the people responsible for the work and then find ways of uh, of making our efforts easier as we scale it. So uh, I think it was Seth Godin said, um, uh, it must have been about 10, 10 or 12 years ago that I read, said that that any good digital product needs to work with a notepad and a pen first. If you can't mm -hmm. make it work with a notepad and a pen, it's not going to work with a website. And what he's, he's the, the whole thing he was talking about there is that uh, if they if you build it, they won't come. Now, yeah. learning and development will not learn that <laughs> lesson. And I think it's because they see themselves or we see ourselves as system implementers and not product owners. Product owner delivers value to the people who engage, right? And I don't mean a modicum of value sometimes if you spend enough time in it. That That's not how good digital um, platforms or, or, or solutions work. It should make life easier in what it is you're trying to do. There's a lovely phrase in the book, Traction, uh, how to get customers to your startup. It said that, uh, that the, the definition of traction is helping people to do what they're trying to do better. Now, they're, mm. not, trying to, they're not trying to find learning content. They're actually trying to, to find useful solutions to the things that they're trying to do that they're not able to do easily or effectively as they transition or they're expected to adapt for any particular reason. So we need to be there. And then what we could do is you could use smart technology to automate uh, a lot of this stuff. So integrate um, uh, a learning platform with your HR system that recognizes when somebody changes jobs, that automatically feeds them their, their, the right compliance training, gives them a digital path uh, so that they give them what they need when they need it to keep them on the on the right track and then invite them to the right workshops or conversations, uh, the community groups uh, where they can mix with with cohorts of the people who are doing the same thing. There's so much that technology can do, but we have to think about the performance and the results. And again, I sound like a broken record, not the provision of learning. That's not a problem that needs solving. It's a perceived problem by L&D and then it becomes a bigger problem when people don't use the expensive tech. Love it, love it. And um, so I know we've talked about various different things throughout the pod so far in terms of what people can do, but thinking about um, L&D teams that may be going into the year to come feeling anxious mm. um, about what's coming, what what tips can you give, give, give them? Great, uh, well, I've got four tips. Uh, okay. Um, uh, number one is plan to be highly visible. If you're not visible, you're likely to be invisible. And if you're invisible and mm. the and the organization thinks they're running without a learning and development department or one that's really making impact, then you are at risk. So number one, you've got a plan to be highly visible. Number two, you'll do that by solving real problems with data and evidence-based practice. Um, solving real problems. I, I always come around to this because I because I post something on LinkedIn and we we did the recent series with Guy Wallace on the the pivot to performance, which is all about solving real problems. And then we get comments by people who haven't seen it or see that I might be um, 
suggesting that they're not solving problems with the traditional way of doing L&D. But this is it's fundamentally different to a to a learning needs analysis. It's about sitting with a stakeholder who's asked for training or seeking uh, uh, some assistance and, and pushing them to the outcome of what it is that they want they want to achieve you yeah, and and pushing through the silly consistency response that inevitably comes as the uh, as the first response to what's the outcome you want oh you know i want a consistent thing no 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 no. what do you hmm. want people to do differently what do you want them to achieve you know your data will tell you what the problem is and uh who is responsible for the work and who needs help and the evidence is working with the people responsible for the work and figuring out what it is that they need and all sorts will be thrown up uh, stuff around hierarchies, around communications, processes, systems, stakeholders, relationships, all of this stuff. And somewhere within that, there'll be a knowledge and capability part that is in the sweet spot of learning and development. And the stakeholder benefits from knowing exactly what the rest of it is. So so it's so important to talk about um, and, and get conversations to the work, the way the work is done um, or expected to be done and the results that should be expected from doing the work the right way. The third one is if you understand real problems, you can move fast to address these with digital resources and workshops. So I said earlier, don't go hiding away trying to create and deliver long programs. What you want to do is you want to reduce this. If you understand the real problems, then you then you will very quickly figure out that that you can, if you're laser focused on solving real problems, then your solutions are smaller, thinner, lighter, and more agile because they are laser focused. So you can do more and achieve more by thinking digital resources or workshops rather than e-learning and programs. And the fourth one is um, you don't have time to flog dead horses or hide in long designer delivery cycles. So if you've got an LMS and no one's using it, <laughs> don't flog it you look like a one trick pony if you're still trying to flog that after everyone said no before all right it might be doing uh taking the pain out of compliance but if, the, if people weren't going before and you've tried to market it and it's still not getting high levels of engagement you've got to take a look it's nothing to do with people not having the time to learn it is feedback on what you've got and but the same with with two or three day programs you 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 haven't got time to hide. So so I'd say that uh, that again, it probably completes the cycle of going back to being highly visible. But look, there's, if there's one mantra through 2023, it is get out there and solve real problems. Like it, like it. What about you, Ad? What would you um, suggest? What do I suggest? I, look, I agree with all of your points. I think it was a good summary of some tips to pe for people to take away. In particular, the obviously the one that comes out really strongly is solving the real problems I, you know and i think that it's something through my career you know and something i've always listened to you and we've had lots of conversations about this you know on the pod and just in person about you know you can't be tempted into going down so many different paths but focus on the data that exists then speak to the people doing the do and that's where your problems will be another thing i thought of as well david is that you know talking about being visible if you if you know your approach as a learning and development team the areas that you want to focus on, like, you know, where are the real problems and knowing how you're going to do it from speaking to your people, et cetera. I think there might be something in sharing up front the, your kind of roadmap or your plan with the, with key stakeholders 
uh, because I worry that when L&D teams don't do that and they don't kind of share and work out loud in terms of what they're doing, um, what often happens, I guess, is that same stakeholder will come to them and go, hey, I want to book this course. I want to go on this program. It's like, can L&D teams get ahead of that? So they're not having to, you know, fall victim to the hey can i run a team building or can i go on that course because that's often what they have to deal with and manage um i feel like if you can kind of set your stall out and say these are our plans this is what we're going to work on then you'll be in a good position i also agree david about the the point you made the temptation of let's bring in a program it, they're big they're expensive they take a lot of time you know is there a way you can run smaller experiments and once like you said once you understand the problem and you get closer to it the closer you get to that person or the problem you you might realize that we don't need a program for this we don't need a workshop for it it might be like you said just resources that are going to help people with something or it might be conversations that you set up between different people in the organization so therefore it's it doesn't have to have these massive overheads or uh, time consuming programs it could be just something light touch and i think that that's something i've seen through my career where the temptation just to go yes we're making it into a workshop when you realize how expensive and time consuming they are you don't always need to do that so can you reevaluate it and look at how you can do something in a you know in a um a test environment and go yeah this is working and then scale what works rather than just doing a big big bets on big programs would 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 be something i avoid going into next year so yeah wise words good stuff all right. Um, well, David, has it felt weird being being a guest or have you enjoyed the process? Oh, yeah, I've uh, very much enjoyed it. But, uh, but I right. think you, uh, you made it easier, Ad. <laughs> so well done. Excellent. Well, look, thank you for David uh, for being a guest on the Learning and Development podcast. And we will see you all very soon. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Thank you again, Adam, for taking over the reins for this episode. And as I mentioned, while we prepare for tough times in the coming year, there's plenty we can do to improve our chances of survival and greater impact, but it won't be by lying low or making big bets on systems and programs. It'll be with greater visibility and impact, and I'm sure we can get through this together. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn again, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.